0: I 2020 episode 189... Have 2020 vision with ION 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey, what's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host. That brings you the news, the events, the things that are going on in the 2020 election. Thank you so much for joining me each and every day, Monday through Friday, so that you can be up to date, up to speed, and know all the things that are going on with the 2020 election. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make sure that you know that Bill de Blasio has... Gotten out of the race, little tidbits like that, which you'll probably won't even be have to concern yourself with anyway, because nobody really knew that Bill De Blasio was even in the race, right? The the mayor of New York City. So uh, yeah, but you'll know that stuff. You'll be the one that is up to speed on those things, and you'll be the one that uh, can talk to your friends about the politicians and their views and the, what they what they believe. So that uh, when you're having these conversations with your friends and family at the dinner table or, you know, at work or wherever you're at, you could just be able to lead them towards the direction of liberty. And that's my goal whenever I'm talking to you guys is just to help you guys to, uh, you know, be able to lead your friends towards liberty because that's what we're trying to do in this world is lead people towards liberty. Let them know about libertarian principles, libertarian ideas, libertarian points of view that we have because it's a it's a good point of view. It's one that... Is a principle of peace. We believe in peace among men. We believe in we believe that individuals should have freedom to enjoy life and enjoy the world. We believe that people should have the freedom to, you know, interact with each other in a peaceful way without the government telling them what they need to be doing, without the government, you know, using its monopoly on force to force you in a specific direction. We believe we believe that government is force. We believe that. Libertarianism is peace. And that's what we want to be able to teach our friends about. That's what we want to show them the way towards liberty. Now, we're not going to be able to, you know, bring them fully to where we are today a lot of times. But we can at least give them a little bit of, plant a little seed of knowledge in their minds. That's what I always say. Plant those seeds of liberty that will sprout one day when they get watered. Let them see just a little bit. Maybe change their view on one tiny thing like the drug war if you can do that then they start seeing the inadequacies of government they start seeing those little things you know that's what we're doing and you know what i wanted to give a shout out today to one podcaster that's that seems like he's doing it. his name is nick and uh he has a podcast a podcast called This Week in Liberpods and he gave me a shout out and I was really I really do appreciate that so I figured I'd give him a shout out as well he actually has a podcast that focuses in on he covers five different libertarian podcasts every week and he just does a little snippet of something that he found in those podcasts that maybe it's a little bit of knowledge that, that he could bring to you that he wanted to share with the people and that's what it seems like to me I've listened to a couple of those episodes and he talks you know he has the Lion's Liberty on there he had Electric Liberty on there he had my show on there I on the Empire or I on uh, 2020 and he's had multiple other I mean he's on episode 9 right now and so that's 45 separate podcasts that he's featured on his show so far that are libertarian podcasts guys 45 of them can you believe that? but there's hundreds of us out there that are podcasting to spread the message of liberty, and that's amazing that he's doing that. So, Nick, I, uh, you know, I congratulate you for getting to episode nine so far, and keep it going because I think that uh, you are onto something by throwing out, you know, letting other people know about podcasts that you like that you find. Okay, and I thought originally when I started doing this podcast, I started to come up with the idea that maybe I would start throwing out more podcast names out there and so forth and I haven't done it as much but maybe I'll start doing that as well. And I'm not going to give you a clips of those podcasts. I'll just tell you a little bit about those podcasts and let you know how I feel about them because I think it's interesting that there's so many people out here that are trying to get out there get out there and talk about liberty and this is a great medium to do it. Podcasting, it's a great medium to do that. You can tell your friends about your podcast and get them to listen, but you can tell what you can do is you can tell other people about podcasts that you find as well that are interesting to you that are talking about liberty that are talking about freedom that are talking about individual responsibility there's lots of us out there that are doing that okay and then we work as a as a team and we all work together we push the message of liberty in our communities and across the nation change the culture that we have in this world that or in America specifically change the culture of how we want to interact with our government, the expectations that we have of our government. If we could change other people's expectations of the government, the politicians will conform to that. They'll stop preaching a message of socialism. They'll stop preaching a message of a nanny state. And then they'll start preaching a message of freedom and individual responsibility as well, because that's what the people will demand. But we've gone too far in this country where we've remained silent maybe, as libertarians, I don't know there's too much infighting among us maybe that's the, I don't know I don't know what the I don't know the exact problem with our libertarian message is it the messengers? I have no idea is it the libertarian party itself? who knows Ron Paul seems like he was onto something way back when in 2008 and 2012 he brought a lot of people into the movement but you know what? Bernie Sanders brought a lot of people in those moments as well. Maybe it's, maybe it's just being an old dude that's speaking the truth. I don't know. Or speaking their perceived truth. Because obviously we don't think that Bernie Sanders is speaking the truth. But he seems like he's speaking truth to power in some ways. He seems like he's onto to something of that. He, he diagnoses problems pretty well. That's what Bernie Sanders does. Maybe we need to start diagnosing problems as well. But his solutions to the problem, his cures to those problems, is socialism. That is not truth right there. Socialism is not truth. More government is not the solution to these problems in America that we have. Government's kind of like like what led us into a lot of these problems, right? The reason why I say that is because... For example, if you look at the student loan crisis that they... That I'm using air quotes when I say crisis. When we look at the student loan crisis that's going on, I mean, if you look at it, the guaranteed student loans, the federal government, I think it was like in 2001 or 2002, it might have been in 2003, I'm not sure, but the federal government became the sole provider of student loans, Right? And I don't know the exact makeup of it. Maybe they did it where they were going to be the sole backer of student loans, or every student loan company that was getting out these loans had to have it backed by the federal government or something like that. But I know there was some laws passed because I remember when I was in college, they were talking about that, right? And over that time, so it became super easy to get student loans. I mean, you go into the student you go into the f- finance office at a university. And they push those loans on you. They have you, re, they have you basically apply for all of the grants and all the student loans, no matter who you are. And I remember they were trying, trying to push them on me in some ways. And I didn't take out student loans when I was in college. Or, excuse me, I did take out a few. But it was very minimal. I graduated with no debt. I paid them off during the semester that I took them out in. But they would push them on you constantly... And the reason why is because that's what they're incentivized to do. The university wants to get as much money from the students as possible. So you walk in there and they have you sign up for them all. That's just part of the system. They're trying to play the system. They're trying to game the system in some ways by getting as much money from that federal student loan program as they can. But it's a federal student loan program, most federal programs, people figure out ways to game the system. Just like you always hear about people trying to game the system with welfare. It's a federal system. They try to game those systems as much as they can. In any federal program, when there's money to be had, they try to game the system. Corporate welfare, same thing. Gaming the system as much as they can. Corporate subsidies, gaming the system as much as they can. It happens from the corporate level. It happens from the individual level. It happens in the group level. They try to game the system to try to get as much as they can because the, the incentive is perverse. The incentive is to, is to get as much now as you can because it might go away later. The incentive is, you know what, if I could fill out enough paperwork and get enough documents signed, I can get some free money. And then, and then what happens is there becomes institutions that help you to game that system. It happens in the inner cities. It happens at the corporate level. It happens with accountants who you know, are high-paid accountants that are hired by the major corporations that have the ability to pay somebody a million dollars and save a $100 million on their taxes. People are going to game the systems every single time. That's what they do. That's what they do. So a lot of times, it's the federal government that is the cause of a lot of the problems that we have in America. It's not like that every single time, don't get me wrong. But a lot of the problems that we have in America is because the federal government decides to take those things over. The federal government puts a responsibility on itself when there's no accountability in those things as well. And then politicians look to say that they're going to be the solution to the problem. They're going to have the answers to those problems. If you listen to Elizabeth Warren, if you listen to Bernie Sanders... If you listen to Joe Biden, all of them say that they have the answer to these problems. They do, but they don't. They don't have the answer. Their answer almost every time is more government. Bernie Sanders, I talked about this on Friday on my show. If you want to go back and listen to it, you can. He was talking about rent, you know, high rent in America and there's a housing problem. There's an affordable housing problem. And he diagnoses the solution. Yeah, there he diagnoses the problem. I mean, yeah. Affordable housing, especially in like the inner city, like in the cities. It's hard to find affordable housing. You go to a place like San Francisco, and it's almost impossible to afford a place to live. But he talks about the solution or he talks about the the problem, but he doesn't have solutions to it. He says we just need more government. We need more government control. We need to build more government housing. We need to subsidize more people. That's not the solution to the problem. That's a band-aid over the problem. That's all that is. But when you look at the solutions to the problem, there's lots of solutions to those problems. Build more homes. Build more homes. There's always ways to build up, guys. There is. But what it is, is nobody wants it built in their backyard, right? They don't want to have, I mean, if you have two acres of land in your neighbor, if, if, I mean, for example, there's a little town outside of Boston that my family is from. I'm not going to say the name. You guys don't need to know that. But it's all zoned two acre pr- property. The entire town, that's what they did back in like the 1990s I think it was they zoned they made it so that any new home had to be zoned on 2 acres of land that's the zoning law that they created and it increases the value of their property by doing that right the people that the people that benefit from it are the people that live in that town but the thing is is all around there if you wanted to build anything it has to be on 2 acres and there's no more property left essentially but it's a very nice nice community to live in. Nice town to live in, right? But you have situations like that where zoning laws keep new building out. So if somebody wanted to move into that town that was poor, they can't. They can't afford it. <coughs> Excuse me. They can't afford it. Same thing within the cities. You have it set up where the city councils have made it almost impossible in some of these cities to build new multi multi-story project or multi-story buildings have developers come in to build, you know, a 10-story apartment complex and they say no, you can't do that. And a lot of times it's because the people in that immediate area go to the city council and they protest against it. We don't want these 10-story buildings in our neighborhood. Look at our neighborhood. It's so nice. It's going to decrease the value of our property. So they demand no building. We're using, people use the government as a tool to get what they want. Because the government has the monopoly on force. It happens all the time in America. It happens all the the time all over the world. I can't say it's just America. It happens all the time all over the world. We use the government as a tool to get what we want. Because they have a monopoly of force. They can force people to obey its will. And they do that in housing. They do that. I mean, it's the government's fault a lot of times. It's the government. Now, the federal government, you know, that's a local municipality that passes zoning ordinances. That's what that is. So I'm not too concerned about local municipalities. Go to your local municipality and you can fight that at the local level. Just like I can start to fight it at my local level if they're doing something that's that's wrong, that I feel is wrong. You deal with your community up in Washington or New York or California or wherever you're at. I don't care. I'll deal with mine. But on the federal level, that's something that we need to come together and start halting that. Start putting the brakes at the federal level on all the craziness that they're doing there. That's causing things like health care prices to go up, health insurance to go up the prices of those things to go up causing the tuition to go up at universities as much as it does we can act now and make that happen but when it's a solution like what Bernie Sanders says oh just make it so that college is free that's a bandaid on a problem you can fix the problem with affordable universities, you can there's free market ways to make that happen And that's what we need is people that are going to have real solutions to these problems. I don't know that Donald Trump looks at these solutions, like looks at solutions to these problems that thoroughly. I just, I mean, when I listen to Donald Trump speak, he doesn't talk about college affordability and healthcare affordability and all that stuff. Um, we'll see though. I mean, he might have some answers. I don't know. I'll talk about them as I see them come up, as I see answers to that. He comes up with, I'm sure there'll be debates in the summer of 2020 that he's in with whoever the nominee is. That might be the case. Who knows? He might decide not to do debates, but I'll address those as he, as he talks about them. But I mean, I just think that we as libertarians need to push an agenda towards finding people who are going to say less government. Well, that's what we need to do. We need to support them on the local level and on the federal level. That's what we can do to solve these problems. Start running candidates. Start voting libertarian. I know um, Dave Smith had a. He's a he's a comedian. He's also a uh, podcaster, and he runs more like the um, anarcho-capitalist type. Libertarian, and then he was debating Nicholas Swar- Starwork, who's the uh, chair of the Libertarian Party, and I agree with both of them on a lot of the views. Like I don't know that there was a. S- I mean, they say that um, Dave Smith won, and any anarcho-capitalist type libertarian would say the same thing. Oh yeah, Dave totally won. Um, I listened to it kind of from a neutral standpoint, in the sense that I agree with both of them. Like both of them made some very valid points. Some absolutely valid points in the debate where they were saying that they shouldn't that the Libertarian Party should not run a candidate like Gary Johnson or Bill Weld again or something like that, where Bill Weld and Gary Johnson, they got like four and a half million votes in America or something like that. Over one percent of the vote, like it was the highest total number of people that voted Libertarian in the 2016 election, like and they were able to raise twelve million dollars, which was way more than any other candidate had ever raised that had raised as well. So there is a leg to stand on that says, hey, you should run run something that has name recognition as popular or can get those types of votes that can look like a a candidate that has mass appeal. There is an argument made with that because you're going to get more people that are going to at least vote Libertarian. If they vote once Libertarian, they might be willing to vote, vote twice Libertarian. But the main key point that Nicholas Sarwark had on that particular debate was that by getting four and a half million people to vote Libertarian, it got 50 states ballot access in 2012 and in 2016. The Libertarian Party has ballot access in all 50 states now because of that. So now if you, podcast listener, decide that you're going to run as a Libertarian for a local seat, you're going to have ballot access. You're going to be able to go in there and run as Libertarian and have the L next to your name. No other, no other political party except for the Republicans and the Democrats have that. The Green Party has it in a few states, I think like 34 states. Libertarians have it in all 50 states, ballot access, with an L next to your name so someone can know that you're Libertarian, that you're able to get in there and run as a Libertarian. You don't have to run it as an independent. You can run with the L next to your name. Ballot access is a a very important thing. So he was right in that particular view. But then you get down to the point of should should libertarians be running sort of a wishy-washy type libertarian like Bill Weld as the vice presidential nominee and Gary Johnson as the uh, presidential nominee that's where you get into the real debate on it, right? And uh, Dave Smith definitely made some good points that said that, you know, someone like Ron Paul definitely, Gary Johnson was standing on the shoulders of the Ron Paul movement in 2012 and then again in 2016. So he was a, like, you had a lot of people coming to the Libertarian Party, and we get excited about somebody that might be able to win. And that's why, you know, that's probably why Gary Johnson was able to have such a good showing in 2012 and 2016 that probably is true but in 2012 he had a good showing and in 2016 they have even better showing with somebody like Weld behind because I think what it did is it gave having like two former governors on the ticket gave the common person that's not a libertarian that maybe thinks that they might be libertarian but they're not really some sort of legitimacy like made it feel like the libertarian party was more legitimate to vote for and that's why they did it i don't know i think both of the guys made pretty good pretty good arguments and i look at it i try to be as unbiased as i can guys when i when i listen to those types of debates okay uh i know i'll probably get beat up by saying by saying that dave smith didn't clearly win or Sorwick didn't clearly win but i don't think that Everham i think both of them made two different points though Dave Smith was coming from a from a principled standpoint, right? He was, I don't know, more like the objectivist view, right? Like there's there's right and there's wrong, and that's what he was saying. Whereas Nicholas Sorok looked at it from like more of a utilitarian view of well, what's best for the whole? That was the only argument. So if you guys want to, you could actually listen to that debate. It's on uh, Reasons podcast, so you could check that out. Uh, I think it was the most recent reason podcast or something that was a debate uh, from the Soho forum, which is done in New York. I think on a m- monthly basis, it's really interesting to listen to those debates. Uh, it might be another podcast that y'all can listen to, and it might have some good views, but it's usually libertarians versus you know someone else. They did one that was like libertarian versus socialist um, and so forth. And there's always you know it's a it's a really good debate forum that they have up there in New York City uh, for libertarian I mean, it's run by a libertarian as well. Uh, Gene Epstein, so you could check that out, uh, but yeah guys, that is the, um uh, that's the, you know, I didn't even want to talk about that today, to be honest with you, I'm sitting there looking at the notes that I had, and I was just, what I want to talk to you guys about today, and I'm already 20 minutes into the show, so uh I'll probably keep this a little bit quicker than on the topic that I was going to cover, but there is a drum beat for war going on right now, okay, there is a drum beat for war. With Iran. It's a slow process. To change the people's minds. Because we're so. We're like. We are not interested as Americans. We are not interested in more wars in the Middle East. It's absolutely certain. That Americans will not support. A war with Iran. But there's a slow drumbeat Going on guys. The war drums are beating. Every month or so. It's in the news that Iran did something wrong, right? The Trump administration, through his Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, through the warhawks, that drumbeat is is beaten. Every time I, anytime anything happens in the Middle East, two months ago, what did you have happen? There was the. A tanker that supposedly got you know maybe a submarine went down there and tried to blow it up, right a month later, another tanker supposedly attacked in the Strait of Hormuz by Iran all the all the all the while Iran's denying it, of course, if they did it or they didn't, they're gonna deny it. that's a fact also, but quick to judgment, America the leaders in America are quick to judgment on this that it's always going to be Iran every single time because they're trying to get that war drum beating boom, boom right, they're going to continue to beat the war drum in order to get America's perception of Iran as a bad guy in the in the area they might be, they probably are a bad guy in some way. I don't think the people of Iran are but maybe the regime's not working with with America or something. I don't know. I do know this. America had a a nuclear pact, I guess. You know this this whole thing that was going on over there, right? Back in under Barack Obama, they came to an agreement, a multilateral agreement between European the European nations, Russia, America and Iran that said that, uh, that, they, that they had an agreement with Iran on their nuclear weapons program. They had, they had that agreement. And Donald Trump got out of it. They still follow. I mean, Iran still followed the agreement for like a year or something like that after Donald Trump got out of it. But the thing is, is then the sanctions go put on Iran. Sanctions are economic war. That's like... That's like when the Greeks came and surrounded Troy. That's essentially what an economic sanction is. Where no no food comes in and no food goes out. You can't trade anymore. That's what a sanction is. It's basically an army going and surrounding a city in ancient times. But nowadays it's done modern in a modern sense through the banking system and through trade deals and stuff like that. Through... America saying, you can't trade with Iran. And if you do, you can't trade with us. That's what they're doing. It's an economic war. It's no different. It's no different. No different at all. Now, if they have enough food and they have enough clothing, they have enough resources, they can wait it out, right? But that's not how the modern world is, guys. You have oil that you need to trade. You're going to try to trade it. You have products that you're producing that you need to trade. You're going to try to trade them. You have to. It's the way the economic system works nowadays. And that's what Iran was trying to do. Like, Why wouldn't they try to attack America in some way? Why wouldn't they try to attack America's allies in some way? Essentially, a war has been declared on them. An economic war. Economic sanctions, sanctions. That's what happens. So when they're when they're beating the drum when Mike Pompeo is beating the drum, boom, 2 months ago. Attack on a oil vessel. Boom, a month later, attack on an oil vessel. Boom, a month later, attack in Saudi Arabia shuts down half their oil supply production. That's another war beat or a war drum beat. So that they can try to change America's perception of this entire scenario. When America would not be in that situation, if it was not putting economic sanctions on Iran, and if it was not supporting Saudi Arabia and Yemen. This is all surrounding that particular area, guys. But they're trying to change America's perception of War being something that needs to be done in the Middle East again. We need to attack Iran. That's what I mean. That's what they're going to say. That's what they continuously say. The Lindsey Graham's of the world, who's never seen a war that they did not want to get involved in, well, not them, but send our soldiers there. He's saying the Trump administration needs to be hard on them and take them out militarily. Things like that. That is not something we need to do. We don't need to do anything like that. We need to wind down our presence in the Middle East. Bring the boys home. Bring the troops home. Nothing worse than that. There was something I heard also in the debate and I was just listening to it and I thought that was pretty true as well. And it was said, you know, we have gun violence in America. That's true. But we glamorize war in America right we have troops coming home we have troops all over the world so the propaganda is that war is good so people in their minds they think that that's good right we have troops coming home who have seen just terrible things and they have PTSD and like there's just so much glamorization of violence why wouldn't we have gun violence in America like that, right? We have a war on drugs that causes people to have to protect their turf with these weapons. Why wouldn't there be gun violence in America when you have a black market for such a hugely demanded product? You wouldn't have that if you didn't have the war on drugs and the war overseas. You wouldn't have this glamorization of violence. This glamorization that we have of war and violence. That's why you have. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I'm almost convinced now of that, you know. But hey, guys, um, we do not need to go to war with Iran. That that was that was my entire purpose of this was to let you guys know that there is a drumbeat going on right now to make it so that the American perception is that it's okay to go to war with Iran. And I think it's going to be very hard to change the current perception that Americans have that hey we're sick of wars we want to get out of these things I think it's going to be very hard for the administration to change that but they will try and try they will okay they will try as much as they can because it's in their interest because war is the health of the state and if they don't have an enemy to attack people stop thinking about it man people I mean people stop thinking about dependency beyond the government at that point. the safety they need to protect us and that's what I mean that it just sickens me, but the health of the state is the is war because it allows the military industrial complex to demand more. We need to build more bombs, we need to build more weapons. we need to build more planes, we need to build more ships. We need to build more. We need to outfit our troops with even better pro- better equipment. We need to be over there and have our hand in the Middle East. We don't need that, guys. We don't need that. And we definitely don't need war with Iran. That just scares me to death that we'll have that happen. The foreign minister of, I- of Iran in one of the news shows this week. Now, the way that the news framed it was he sa- he was saying that he can't guarantee there'll be no war with Iran. He said, I can't guarantee there'll be no war with Iran. That's what, that's what the news agencies were saying about this, right? That was the headline. Iran can't guarantee that there'll be no war with them. But what he actually said was, and it's just, the way they frame it was pathetic, because it makes people think that there's, they need to be scared of Iran in this situation, right? Maybe we do, I don't know. But the way that the news media was framing it was so much propaganda, it pissed me off when I heard it. And when I actually read it, and when I heard what he actually said, this is what he said. I can't guarantee there'll be no war with Iran, but I can guarantee Iran won't start the war. That's what he said. That's totally different than when the way, the, the, way the, the media was trying to frame it. They were trying to make it seem like we should be scared of him. When he, then he said, but I can guarantee you that we won't be the one that started. To start it. So he was guaranteeing that America's going to start it at that point. America will start it. Who's the aggressor in that situation? Who's the aggressor? I don't know. I mean, that's just my two cents on the matter, okay? Hopefully, I am, hopefully I'm completely wrong in that Iran is such a terrible nation that we need to go blow them up or something. But I will never be for that war because there's so much propaganda out there about it. And we can't trust the leaders because they led us astray in Iraq. They did everything they can to get us into Iraq, lied us into war. How are we going to trust, how are we possibly going to trust the federal government on this? I don't think that we can, and I don't think that anyone in America believes that we can. So, But uh, that's all I got for you today, guys. That is it. And uh, I appreciate you listening to this show every single day. What you can do is to help me out is to go ahead and subscribe to the show if it's your first time listening. If you like what you heard, hey, you know what? Check me out. You can do that every day. And uh, check out some of my previous episodes as well. Love to hear see those numbers continue to go up as well on the previous episodes. Uh, listenership keeps continuing to rise, so go ahead and share the show with your friend. And uh, email me, Ray at the You can do that, and I would love to hear from you. And then you can check me out, iantheempire.com. On the Empire is on Facebook and on Twitter as well. And if you would like to support the show, you can do that as well. 199 499 and 999 support levels. Uh, you can do that anchor.fm slash IOn2020, okay? And then the best thing you do is to come back tomorrow and you'll have clear vision for 2020. Hey guys, I'm excited to announce the new podcast I'm coming out with called. First Year in Sales with Ray Eaton. Now, if you're not a salesperson, then it might not be for you. But if you are a salesperson or if you know another salesperson, go ahead and direct them towards this show. It's going to be a show that is based upon helping somebody that's in their first year in sales or maybe even somebody that is in sales already and just wants to brush up on some of the sales skills that they need in order to be successful. I'm focusing on habits and also different parts of the sales process in order to help people to become more successful in their sales job so like i said if you know somebody that's in sales or if you yourself are in sales go ahead and check out this podcast it's on all of your podcatchers anything that you would listen to and that is called first year in sales with ray ian